0: Welcome to the Media Casters with your business besties, Karina Belizzi and Julie Loken. In every episode, you'll get behind the scenes access to experts who share their struggles and successes in podcasting, publishing, and presenting. So grab a pen, grab your bestie, and kick it with Karina and Jules. Love is in the air. And we have Rhonda Penders here. She is the founder of the Wild Rose Press, a romantic... Okay, you explain what the Wild Rose Press is. I know what it is, but I'm afraid that I might not do it (laughs) justice.
1: So the Wild Rose Press, we started back in 06 as a romance-only publisher, mainly because my business partner, RJ, and I were both published romance writers, and that's what we knew. So we wanted to be a publisher for romance authors um, and that worked out really well for us for about seven years. And then our romance authors wanted to write women's fiction and science fiction and some other things. So we expanded beyond that, but our core has always been romance. And this year in particular, our mission has, has kind of been, you know, where has the love gone because we were missing some of those old fashioned romances that we used to get. We're getting a lot of things that aren't romance. So we're really trying to year really hard um, call for submissions for You know, the Hallmark movie romances, the Harlequin contemporary romances, your historicals, pretty much anything romance we're looking for this year. And people are wanting to disconnect from the
0: real world, I believe, through the past two years. What better way to indulge yourself in a nice, juicy romance novel?
1: Well, and one of my, I guess my things that I hear time and time again about romance novels are people will say, oh, it's all formula. It's all the same thing. It is and it isn't. I mean, yes, it's always happy ending, which is why those of us that like romance novels, that's why we read them. But they're all different. My, my answer for that is always, if you put, you know, all of us in a room together, every one of our personal romances have been different. You met your husband different. You met your, your girlfriend different. All romances are different. They're not all the same. They might all end up the same, but they're not the same meet, They're not the same journey. It's all different. Well,
2: I've read a fair number of romance novels in my time, and also some that would be termed more erotica than romance. Uh So I wondered if you could tell us from your perspective, where's that delineation line? When does romance become erotica? And, you know, are they just a a blend and mishmash? or, Or what is your perspective in that arena?
1: So there's a couple different things there, layers. So erotic romance and erotica go hand in hand. Erotic romance is all about the couple. And so once the couple meets or once they're involved, there's no other couple on the scene normally. It's usually about them. It's very, very hot. It's very graphic. It's very described, but it's all about that couple. Whereas erotica can go into a whole bunch of different things with menage trois, with uh, you know, BDSM, and you can go into a whole lot of different places that it's not necessarily the romance. And at the end of the story, there's not an implied happily ever after or happy for now in erotica erotic romance has to have that happy ever after they don't have to be heading down the aisle but they have to be together at the end of the book committed to each other at least for now so that's the difference between those when you're talking about a romance novel versus that it's really a romance novel takes you all the way through a lot of that but it just doesn't get quite as hot as erotic romance does so there's it, it's hard to know that line, but you kind of know it when you're reading it like, oh yeah, this is erotic romance and this is just a really spicy romance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that What helps, are the giggles but- <clears throat>
2: for, girl? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> a really spicy romance kind of just tickled my funny bone.
1: <laughs> really spicy would be in the old days, I'm I'm dating myself, but Harlequin had a line called Desires and Temptations, and those were were romances but they took us into the bedroom and they really described the lovemaking. But tastefully, not in any kind of, we call them buzzwords, the, the words we use in erotic romance. Give us an
0: example of a buzzword.
1: Oh, God, don't ask me to do that, Jules. <laughs> come on. All right. The pressure's so, on. Oh, my Lord. Um, so in, in erotic romance, you can use words like, um. oh, God, come, uh, cunt. I mean, some of these really strong words that are used, the F word used in a way that isn't demeaning. I like how you called that
2: word. She (laughs) (laughs) She said the C word and then.
1: Right. (laughs) So in in erotic romance. We love you
2: already,
0: Rhonda.
1: (laughs) You can use those words. You would not use those in a romance novel. You wouldn't use those. You would use a a term that meant the same, but was softened if you would. You know, not all things in romance have to be hard.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the double entendre is just too much.
0: <laughs> double entendre.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay, that's so- funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're making Rhonda nervous. We're making Karina
1: nervous.
2: <laughs> no, I mean it's it's like hard to avoid talking about sex if you're talking about romance novels, right? So
1: well, it is, and I and I don't have any issue with it when we're in the, in a setting where uh, you know we're amongst people that are talking about it. I have been in settings of of literary writers. And they're a little bit more stunned to find out what romance writers write, which is why Fifty Shades of Grey really hit so big, right? Because nobody knew we we already were writing that. Nobody knew that until Fifty Shades of Grey came out. And they were all like, oh, but romance writers had been writing that for years. And, and, you know, we weren't horrified at all by it.
0: Can I just give my review on Fifty Shades of Grey? (laughs) Yeah, I thought I could have written it myself. I was like, well,
1: it, it was Yeah, that's a whole different,
0: Topic. How did that one hit the the goldmine, if you will?
1: Well, it, it without insulting anybody, sh- she knew people. So when you when you know people and you can get your book out there, it, it doesn't always have to be good. But it also struck that titillation, if you would, that people wanted to read it because it was so naughty. And you know, as we say in the in the romance world, we probably could have given them ten books hotter than that. But you know, we weren't on that media circus that she was able to get on. So it's it's the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right?
2: There are some very entertaining reviews of that book that I found <laughs> on Amazon, which made it worth the fact that I actually read the first book, Fifty okay. Shades of Grey. I found it to be the most irritating book I've ever read in my life. Mm -hmm. I've never actually seen somebody repeat the same phrases so many times in a work of any sort that I actually waded through. And the only reason I waded through it was because I had just joined a book club. It was the first time I had met with these ladies and they were all going to read it. So I'm like, oh God, I guess I have to read that. My husband would come home and see me reading it. And I'm like literally frowning, scowling as I'm reading it. He was so excited that you were reading it though, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but I I heard this, really interesting take from an author I very much respect, and that's Anne Rice. And she said, you know, I've seen lots of criticism for Stephanie Meyer's work with this Fifty Shades of Grey, and that it's no good, that it's this, that it's that. And it really came to her defense and saying, look, you know, it's it's a hard work to write an entire novel. And the fact that she sat down and did this for a series of books mm-hmm. goes to say, and that all of you are reading it, to say that this isn't terrible and you should all just lighten up a little bit (laughs) basically (laughs) and and so i just think it's so interesting to see that shift and oh my gosh it's not written by stephanie myers it's written by uh e.l james is that right oh yeah it was fan fiction of stephanie myers work i don't want to be misquoted there
1: that's okay that's no right. problem. When you said it, I was I was wondering myself. I'm going. Hmm, is that who wrote it? No, because <laughs> who who
2: remembers anymore? Right? They, right. They would... No, Twilight was written by Stephanie Myers. I actually read and enjoyed those books. Okay. So it's just you know it's a little bit more yeah. teeny bopper, but I felt like it was popcorn,
1: like you know just yeah. You sit and there's down not the, read the, of the book. teeny bopper. I love YA when it's done right. Yeah. I think that's the thing too. We have to remember, and and, and I tell my editors this a lot. The average reader doesn't read the way people in the business read. We read with a totally different eye, right? When you're not an author, you're not a publisher, you're not an editor, you're just a reader, you're just reading because you enjoy the book. You're not seeing that she repeated herself 20 times or she did this or she did that. You're just enjoying a good story. And so I think that was part of it. And the other part I really think is people just were shocked to read it. They were just shocked. And it's like, it, it was not a shock to romance writers.
2: Right. Well, nipple clamps were like somehow like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: any of my authors that write BDSM, that was all very, very tame. They didn't have any issue with, you know, nipple clamps. So <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a word you wouldn't hear in a romance novel only. Or ever
2: on our podcast, Rhonda. We've never heard that word (laughs)
1: on our podcast.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, the BDSM community would have called her book uh, vanilla, I think. Yes,
1: definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a very famous Desiree Holt, who is one of my authors, has been with us since the beginning. She writes very erotic romance and very much erotica. And you know she poo pooed at that book like, come on! You know I've been writing stuff worse than that for years.
0: Who are your authors? I'm curious to know who are your authors that are weaving these tales of romance and erotica, because I bet we would be surprised. And um, a lot of,
1: I don't know. You know we're a small press, so a lot of some of our authors have crossed over to the New York Times bestsellers, but a lot of them have stayed pretty much middle of the road. They have good sales, but they're not ones that you go out and say, oh. You know, that author, you know, uh, is a Wildrose Press, but, and without giving, doing my authors a disservice by, by talking about some and not the others, but, you know, I am brought up Desiree Holt because she's a, a very, very dear friend of mine, and she's been with us since the beginning and believed in us when we were brand new baby publishers, and she writes the most amazing, sensual, sexy BDSM and, and other stories uh, for our erotic line, so she's really phenomenal. Well, wow, so sounds like I've added to my reading list. Definitely need to add her. Desiree
2: <laughs> So there's quite a bit of talk lately about books being censored. And some of them are even like The Fifty Shades of Grey, is it for example. So I wonder what your thoughts are about where we are currently in that media space. And I'd also like to get into something specifically that relates to when to publish in a traditional publisher like yourself and when to sure. self-publish.
1: So. so for book censorship, my take on it is everybody needs to lighten up. I mean, they just do. I, I mean, I don't think that there's certain books that kids should be reading. I mean, I remember, again, I'm going to date myself, but you remember, Are You There? God, It's Me, Margaret by June. That was Green. my favorite. You weren't allowed to read it in sixth grade. You had to be in eighth grade. You know, you had to be like, it, it was a thing at our school library where you had to be a certain grade before they'd let you read that book. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that to a certain degree. I certainly wouldn't want teenagers reading Fifty Shades of Grey, although I'm sure they have. There's just certain things they don't need to be reading. But once they become adults, you know, that's up to them, what they read. Now, what do we offer in the high schools? I think we have to use our common sense. And if it's a book that can teach and educate and show us maybe where we've been and where we don't need to go again, I, I don't think that those books should be censored. I think we should just use our common sense.
0: My take on that and I mean Karina touched upon this it, because a lot of our listeners are aspiring authors and I happen to know when you put all your energy into a book whether it's fiction or nonfiction you are putting all your love all your energy and then when you're done you're just like what what do I do now and mm-hmm. uh, you deal with so many authors and the wonderful thing about Wild Rose press is that you cultivate talent within your publishing company the authors come to you you take them and then you're teaching them how to be a better author number one and teaching them how to market and brand their book because as an author you are your brand right So that is so fantastic. what what do you do
1: once you finish that book? So there's a couple of things I think that you know one of the things we grew our company on is we grow writers so um, obviously you still have to be a good writer it has to be a good story but we'll help you polish it. My editors are phenomenal at working with authors. If they see the diamond in the rough, they'll work with you. What gets frustrating is when that author has written 10 books and you're still helping her correct the same things over and over. They really should grow and learn from the first nine books. But to your question of what should they do, I think that an author, if it's her brand new first book out of the gate, you really need to research publishers, see which one fits your book. It doesn't do you any good to send me a book of poems because we don't publish poetry, So you really need to look and see, what did I write? Where do I think it fits? Which publisher? And then read their guidelines and see if you want to send it in and and see what happens. I think contests are still a great idea for new writers because you're going to get that unbiased feedback from a judge that doesn't know you. They're going to tell you very bluntly if, if it's good or not. I don't think that should make you stop writing because judging is very personal. Something I love is something you're not going to love. But I think it's a stepping stone for new writers to get their feet wet, to get over that first rejection, if you would, because everyone's going to get rejected at some point. You know, you need to, to get some tough skin and realize that's going to happen.
2: Well, I wonder, too, how many times you might have submitted a manuscript to somebody to have published and been rejected. Like, Is that a personal story you can tell?
1: Well, so in the early days before we were publi- publishers, so we're going back into the late 90s, I wanted to be published by Harlequin in the worst way. I mean, that's what every romance writer out there, that's your dream. And I wrote some wonderful stories and I sent them in. I even met with editors at some conferences and got some requests, but I never quite made it past the first gates. You know, I never made it to that, you know, that stepping stone. But I remember what it was like to get that feedback and, and the highs and the lows of it. And contests, again, you know, back in the 90s, contests were huge, because that was one way to get really good feedback. And and when Romance Writers Association was a huge thing, and there were uh, chapters all over the country, you wrote to you did all these different contests every month. And it was a great way to get feedback. So yeah, I, I very much remember being in that other chair, and so do my editors. And that's why we do take such care with our authors, because we've been there. So we uh, do unto others, if you would, you know, it's a kinder, gentler publisher, which is why RJ and I started the business. To be honest, we wanted to do it different.
0: And it is such a wonderful story on how you did come together with RJ. And we had chatted, Rhonda was on another podcast and I swear we mentioned RJ about 500 times. So we have to give a shout out to RJ, but you know, it, it speaks to you just having this dream as a writer and wanting to get into Harlequin, but dreaming even bigger And doing something like this, starting a publishing company. And how many books do you have underneath you now?
1: Probably about 3,500 active right now. Wow.
0: Published more, but that's what we have active. So since 2006, 3,500 books. And that does speak to you, you and RJ taking that leap of faith. I'd love to hear that story because Karina hasn't heard that story yet.
1: So R.J. Morris lives in North Carolina, and I live up here in New York, and we met on an eHarlequin website in the late 90s. I think it was 99. We were both wanting to get published, and we became part of a critique group of 11 writers. And the other ladies didn't write as fast as R.J. and I, so we kind of went off on our own part of the group, but also we would email separate, and we would critique each other's work, and we would cheer each other on. And then she got published with a small press at the time. It was just an e-press and I was actually writing for the confessional magazines, Dorchester owned, True Confessions, True Romance. And I had a standing gig every month to write for them. So we were writing. And then in 04, we wanted to go to the Dallas RWA together. And so we met up in San Antonio. We'd never met each other. We were only online buddies. And I told my family I was going to go meet this lady in San Antonio who I'd been internet friends with. <laughs> With, and my kids went nuts because that's the thing you always tell your kids not to do. And so we only knew each other online. We'd never talked on the phone. We'd never met. But yeah. So anyways, we, we went to San Antonio and I was part of, this is a very long story, Karina. I'm sorry. I was part of the San Antonio Romance Authors, which is a, um, a romance writers group back then. And there were about a hundred members, if you can believe it. And so I met a lot of them in Dallas Fast forward two years later in 06, RJ, who is a wizard with the computer, she, she's a total geek, but she can do things that no one can do. She said to me, you know, I think we should open a publishing house. And I said, are you having a midlife crisis? I think maybe you just need to go get a boyfriend or something. (laughs) And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, eBooks are going to be the next best thing. Next big thing. Now, this is in 2006 when only a very small few presses were doing eBooks and nobody wanted to be e-published. That just wasn't a thing. You know, you were not really published. And I thought she was a little crazy, but we tossed this idea around and she said, look it, with all your contacts and with my computer skills, let's just do it and see what happens. Well, we'll publish some things and, and we'll play with this. I said, okay, whatever. You know? <laughs> and so here we are, 16 years later, <laughs> we became a corporation in 2012 and uh, you know we haven't looked back, but her her little idea. So I come back to the Sarah's because it's very important. The fact that I was a member of them, they were a hundred members strong. So when we opened the company May 1st of 06, they pushed it out to everybody they knew and Desiree Holt was a big part of that. And They really helped propel us to where we wanted to go very quickly. And a lot of those authors gave us manuscripts and said, here, just publish this for us. I'll give you this book and throw it out there and see what happens. Um, And these were ladies that were already published with the big five and they just helped. And so, you know, I, I go back to the Sarah's as much as I can. I was just there in November meeting with some of them because that's what really got us going.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. And just having such a long span in publishing, I'm curious, because there are a lot of people self-publishing, as you all yes. well know, how has the advent of Amazon and KDP changed the way you do business?
2: Let's just stop for a second. KDP sure. is Kindle Direct Publishing, correct? Yes. Okay.
1: So I think that there's never been a better time to be an author, because if you want to be published, you can be. Um, You know, you go back 10 years and it was a much bigger struggle. You you really had to have a publisher. You remember the days when self-pubbed was just, you know, it was as bad as Vanity Press. Nobody wanted to be self-pubbed. Nowadays, it's very normal. That's the good side of it. I think the bad side, what has really happened is the market has become so incredibly saturated because writers will throw whatever they've written out there. They'll put it up for sale and they'll sell it for nothing. They'll sell it for 99 cents or, or nothing. And so you've got a lot of stuff out there, a lot. And you know there was some crazy number, like 10,000 books hit Amazon every day or something. So it's hard as a writer to stand out from that crowd and actually have a quality product that's worth a buyer's buying as opposed to something that somebody just decided to write and throw out there. If you're going to self-publish, make sure that what you're self-publishing is worthy of your name. Don't put your name on crap and put it out there because it's going to be out there for a very long time and you're going to get bad reviews and you're going to get negative press and your name's on it. So I I just don't think that in the old days, I used to say there might be a reason why you're not published and maybe you need to think about it and grow a little bit instead of just saying, I'll just do it myself. That's going to be a very unpopular opinion, but that's my opinion. Those are words to live by. Don't put your
0: name on crap.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, because here's what will happen. Somebody might buy it or download it for free, but if it's not any good, they're not going to go back and get your next book, even if it's free. They've already seen that it's horrible. They're not going to go get another one. You're not going to build a career. You're not going to build a readership if your book that you put out there isn't any good. That's not to say there aren't a ton of good books out there by self-published authors. There certainly are. But you you've got to make sure that what you're doing is done correctly. A lot of
0: these authors aren't even having their books edited self publishing, right. which is the number one no-no, right, Rhonda?
1: It is. It is in <laughs> my book, no <laughs> pun intended. But you know, again, don't put your name on crap. Don't put something out there with typos and and errors and you know, you change the name from the heroine to Lee to Leah halfway through. They just literally write it out of their keyboard and they slap it out there. And then they they wonder why they get bad reviews.
0: That may be the name of this episode. Don't put your name on crap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say I, every
2: book I read, and I've mm-hmm. read a fair amount, but every book I read always has errors in it. I've never oh, found definitely. a single book that didn't have errors. It's very and difficult
1: to do that. Yeah, even the big shot.
2: I always... Have come from this perspective, it's like, I'm afraid I'm going to miss a detail. And so I read every word and I'll see misuse of the word they versus them or, or he, when it should have been her and like little slips or even just the right. wrong form of a verb. And it's like, oh, well, that didn't fit. <laughs> you know, it's just the nature of it. On a Kindle book, you could go back and fix some of that if
1: it gets reported to you, unlike in the
2: print form, right?
1: Right. Right. Well, in print, I mean, there's books that go out with mistakes. It it just happens. And I think that, again, it's the the world we live in where everything's getting done very, very fast. And and that's good, but that's also going to have a quality issue. An editor has read that book, you know, two, three times. The author's read it how many times? Even when it goes to proofreading, which it goes out before it publishes, there's some things that are going to get missed. And you try hard not to, but it, it happens. If it's a huge error, if it's really bad, we will pull it even from print and fix it, but it has to be something that's worth the cost of doing that. It makes me
0: feel better about myself because emails I send out and I read it <laughs> afterwards. I'm like, <laughs> how could I miss that? Um, to know that you, the Wild Rose Press, there are those like oversights, if you will. Yeah, it makes us human
1: it happened.
2: Well, and the reality is it happens even in marketing materials that are very, very short by comparison. So some of us that work in the world of marketing consumer products and goods, we've grown accustomed to certain techniques where you literally read the words backwards to try and find typos and things like that. But you're never going to do that in a feature length book. It would just make no sense.
1: No. The only thing we've offered is we ask our authors, you know, it's really best if you could find anybody that has never read your book and give it a read right before so that, you know, they see it with fresh eyes because the editor's eyes aren't fresh anymore anymore than the authors are.
2: Yeah. And your mind makes corrections. It does. So, it does, doesn't it? As much as like you <laughs> might true. think you've done it all correctly, your mind, yeah. like I have a very good friend who writes uh, under the pen name of Cassie Alexander. She's a romance novelist who specifically focuses on paranormal romance. So, a lot of like dragons and yeah. vampires and <laughs> you know all sorts of we'll crazy stuff true. uh but she she's just so adept at digging into story and creating really racy scenes that just get you all involved and she's been professionally published she has a five book series under the Edie spence novels and then that was then taken back to be self-published so now she controls it And is doing most of her new releases, if not all of them, on Kindle Direct Publishing now because she likes having more control. Right. And she's shared with me that she's been able to go back and fix some of the errors Mm -hmm. that I found like because I'm just anal that way.
0: I tell her every time.
2: (laughs) I think you should hire Karina as
0: one of your editors because I don't think any (laughs) mistakes will get past her.
1: You know, that's one of the other reasons to self-publish is the control option, right? You know, I get authors that want to tell me how to do the publishing and, and my answer to them is... You can either publish with me and I'll take care of it, or you can go do it yourself. Because if you need this much control of your book, then you really should be self-publishing because a publisher is going to do all these things that a self-published author does herself. So you really need to think about that. You know, we work with you. Don't get me wrong. We work with you on the cover. We work with you on the book. But at the end of the day, we're publishing it, not you. And so you need to take the back seat a little bit sometimes.
2: So, um, what are the key things that you would say you're in control of when you're the publisher versus the self-published? Because I'm sure this has come up enough.
1: Yeah, we're. I mean, we're we're in control of the release date. We're in control of the cover to a certain degree. Now, at the Wildrose Press, we want the authors to love their covers because, after all, it's your book. It's. it's we want you to be proud of it. But we can't always make them 100% happy. And at some point, we have to call it and just say, look, this is the cover. We've gone back and forth with you 50 times. We're, we're never going to get it perfect. So this is the cover we're going with. So we do have control of that. We have control of the pricing. A lot of our pricing is based on you know where it should be priced for the industry. It's priced on our printer costs, all of that kind of thing. Uh, we will put your book on sale when we can for a request. So we work with you there. You know, we're pretty much in control of when it happens, where it happens, where it's getting distributed. Everything that you would have to do as a self-published author, you know, we handle for you as a publisher free of charge. It's it's part of the the package, if you would, or it's part of the contract.
0: I love that. And I was just gifted today an arc copy of one of your books, Troubles in Belmont by our girl, Nikki Pascarella. I can't wait to read it. The cover is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And I almost cried because she dedicated the book to me.
1: Oh, isn't that awesome? Now she has mm-hmm. a, um, speaking of erotic romance, we have a yeah. series called Passport to Pleasure.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: Nikki has a, um, is it a Spaniard? She, cause she does belly dancing.
0: Steamy nights in Cairo. It's Cairo. Like, steamy, a, yep. Yeah. Egypt. In Cairo.
1: So she's a belly dancer, uh, falls in love with a, a, a gentleman in Cairo.
0: I love that. And yeah. I can't wait, wait to read that. So the power of these books, the power of romance, the power of just getting lost in these books are things we really need as a collective in society. Right? Right. And I, I guess as we wrap this up, I want to ask Rhonda, I'm going to put her in the hot seat. What's the last book that you've read, last book that you had a choice in reading?
1: The last book that I had a choice in reading is actually one of our own. It's from our Wilder series. I read a lot of Christmas books this year, but in our Wilder series, which is a series that takes place in a fictional town in Wyoming, I read Christmas in the Wilder County Jail, which is uh, written by two of our authors who have been part of the series, you know, part of the continuing series of Wilder with the the madam from the Bordello and the um, sheriff and it was a, a murder mystery and it was, it was quite well done. So I did pick that up for pleasure. I do try to read some of our books when I can, the ones that uh, especially speak to me. You know, I, I, I can't read them all. I try, I've tried that in the beginning years. So I tried to keep up and I gave up.
2: Fantastic. So we ask all of our guests to say two mm-hmm. words as they okay. exit the show. Sure. And that is simply kick it, kick it, <laughs> kick,
1: Let's kick it. it. Let's kick it.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of The Media Casters. You can keep this conversation going and kick it with Karina and Jules in live office hours each week. Visit themediacasters.mn.co to sign up. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe whenever you listen. Let's kick it.